All right, we are on to lesson five. So we've gone through several different lessons with how to study. And so today we're talking about word studies. Okay, word. And so when you think about um, word studies, it's we're getting down to like the, the the smallest particle, right? Of when we talk about studying the word, we we look at different books. When we talked about how to study different genres of literature, and we've gone from books. So we've looked at chapters, passages, sentences, all the way down to the individual word. And so the kind of the goal today is to talk about what what to do and what not to do. Kind of when you're reading, um, we know that we're reading um, a translation, and so what are some techniques to be careful of? Uh, when we're reading strictly in English, and also what are some things in terms of the interpretation and the translation that may come into effect that might impact um, what's the correct um, usage of the word. And uh, in your introduction, you know, the word is really the cornerstone of everything in our language. And so knowing what those words mean are important, and they convey structures, nouns, actions, thoughts, all kinds of events. And it's interesting, you know, God chose to use language. He chose to use words to convey who he is, um, what he's like. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that Jesus is referred to as the word, okay, that he is the expression of God. Um, and, and there is, a, you know, a lot of danger in terms of, you know, the, that uh, the interpreter saying that he knows enough Greek to be dangerous. Yeah. And so... Sometimes spending too, you know, a little bit of knowledge can, can lead us astray as well. So having the right attitude in terms of how do we use this knowledge is going to be super important. And so we're going to kind of get introduced to that today and get started on that. So do you guys have any experience in terms of listening, reading, where people have kind of abused or maybe um, twisted scriptures or verses that you come to mind? by the usage of studying a word or giving a different meaning to a word. Yeah? I had someone argue with me once that uh, the Greek word for homosexuality actually meant pedophilia instead, trying to say that homosexuality was allowed, but even though it's not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Other words. So some might make an argument or a claim in, say, Genesis when they say the word day. Yeah. What does day mean? Mm -hmm. Was that before we instituted what a day was? Mm -hmm. uh, Those sorts of things. Yep. Yeah. Although, look at Second Peter, a day is like a thousand years. They kind of transpose that understanding of day back to Genesis chapter one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to look at several of those, um, maybe not those specific verses, but several of those kind of like what's going on and where we're getting those, those meanings. And, and so as we get into it, like why is it important to remember that we're, not, we're looking at really sentences and paragraphs and books and not just words? How is that helpful? Why do you think that's important? I think it helps us um, trust translations. I think when, when somebody knows enough Greek to be dangerous, it's like because I looked up the original meaning in Greek, my understanding overrides what you read in an established, mm -hmm. thought through English translation. Yeah. Like it really doesn't mean this at all. <laughs> and that's honestly how a lot of cults are built. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they always have like some new understanding that everybody else gets wrong, mm -hmm. but we've kind of figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just reminded of, uh, I was studying, um, it was Spanish in college, and I got it in over my head in one class. I, I, I got it, I got it, it's going. So anyway, I'd taken it in high school, not learned a whole bunch, hadn't learned a lot, and I got enrolled in maybe too advanced. I got in the first day, and the, the teacher started speaking Spanish to us. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah, uh-huh. And she said, you know, asked me to do something, and I'm looking up in the dictionary, you know, every, trying to get every word and trying to read what she's writing. And she asked me to, you know, write something up, you know, answer to a question. And I looked up the word that she had said, and it was like the, it was one of those things where the word had, you know, several definitions. And I had the right definition, but in the wrong usage. And she's like, she pointed at my dictionary and kind of held it up to everybody, like, this is not enough to know what you, like, the context of what she was saying was important. And so it's a very memorable, uh, memorable yeah. lesson. So um, there are several things that you can uh, use, some of them either in hard print, some of them can be in digital form, online form. So um, one of the things that we were kind of encourage you to maybe look into looking for is a concordance um, that has the Strong's numbers that helps you identify uh, what words uh, you're actually looking at there in the original. Um, an expository dictionary, so helping up to find not just where those words occur, but what their meanings are. Um, an ESV or a McCarthy, MacArthur Study Bible, where you've got kind of some added notes and a little bit of history, a little bit of research beyond what's maybe in the text itself. And then after that as well, just commentaries, uh, like what Dave was saying, there's a lot behind what comes to interpretation of a particular verse, a word, a paragraph. And so why did we pick this particular translation? Uh, why is this particular word being used instead of maybe an alternate similar word? So there's a variety of tools. Um, I know that for myself, I often use um, the you know, the Blue Letter Bible, so you can access Blue Letter Bible real easily. Um, one thing I like about that, and that we'll get to later, is that it tells you where that word is used. You can all see right away. These are all the places it's used. It gives you, you know, some of this, these tools in terms of definition. And then another um, thing that you can get uh, just as an app or as um, a hard copy is kind of the, the interlinear where it's got the English text. It's got then the original either Hebrew or Greek. And then you can see the number of each individual word. Mm -hmm. So you can get a lot of that information quickly yeah. regardless of it. And then, is, is this also a lot of stuff's in uh, Logos Yeah, as that's, well? that's the Cadillac. The Cadillac, if you're going for the best on the top, that would be, it's all in one but you place. But you can do a lot with Blue Letter Bible. Yeah. And one thing about the, the numbers, too, is that kind of, like, you, we famously know that there's a bunch of Greek words for love. Mm -hmm. So what the numbers do is that lets you know that this is actually a different Greek word than this other use of love. And so that's why numbers, mm -hmm. the strongest numbers are yeah, to tell the difference because it may have very similar lettering, spelling, but different endings and yeah. things like so that. So the numbers let you know it's a, it's a different word. Yeah. Yeah. I really like precept options. Uh huh. Um, because you can you can actually look at multiple different commentaries, and if you have favorites that you like to look at, mm -hmm. um, you know where to. You, I I just know where to go and mm -hmm. just find out if I'm in a passage or if. A, a lot of times, and the words are defined, mm -hmm. 
um, it's just a good resource that has just a lot of different options. Yeah. And I think um, just that idea of having a wealth of resources, yeah. you know, to see who's saying what, where are they getting this, all pointing back to tying it to the text, tying it to the original. That's good. So one of the, let's just go through a few common uh, mistakes, word study mistakes. One is to believe that words that have the same root have the same meaning. So like in English, you know, adult and adultery. Uh, let's have a very similar. <laughs> Uh, these may be things, if you, if you have kids, you're, we've, we've answered that question. Why is it, what is adultery? Does that mean you're an adult? <laughs> no, that's not what that means. Yeah. So exists, existential, and so very similar. Yeah. It's a butterfly, yes. So the same thing in, in Biblical Hebrew, you've got the word for bread has the same root as fight, and angel has the same root as work and occupation. So that's one thing. Just because it has the same root doesn't mean we're going to say, well, this angel right, is really a worker and has the occupation because it has the same root. You don't want to necessarily just lean too much on what its roots are. Okay? It's one possible mistake. Um, number two is not be mindful of the migration. And so, like when we think about how the word gay is used today and 100 years ago, it doesn't have the same meaning when we use it in context. And that's something that you may have, you know, just over your lifetime noticed lots of words don't mean the same thing that they used to, especially when you talk about, you know, slang words, cultural words, you know. Woman. <laughs> Very basic words, that's right. And, and not just from uh, over time, but from culture to culture, right? From place to place. And so this is um, particularly more important in the Old Testament, which was written over a lot, much longer period of time than our New Testament, which is condensed much more. So there's a lot more migration that things written earlier were in maybe hundreds or thousand years before something much later. So you have to be aware of that just in case we're comparing the usage of a word that's used in two very different time periods. And then maybe an undue emphasis on the origin of the word itself. So here's an example in 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the term servant there, as servants of Christ, comes from a term under rower. This has caused many to conclude that Paul is drawing upon nautical language. Uh, but just like a pineapple is not a pine or an apple, <laughs> an under rower, it just simply means servant. It, that's what it is, uh, meaning is, even though it came from a, that origin. Okay. So any comments about those first three before we go on? Anything you notice? Yeah, I think you have to remember that the Bible was written over, like from beginning to end, 1,500 years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think it was around... Well. Yeah, about 1,500 years. Yeah. So it's, when you think about, like, sometimes we think about, um, like, when you think that Moses to Jesus was around 14, maybe, yeah. something like that. So he, the way that Jesus refers to Scripture in the New Testament, it's interesting to say, he expects them to have this clarity and understanding by God, revealing what it means to them, of something written, you know, over a 1,000 years ago close to 1,500 years ago. And so today, we're not much further than that. And we can have that same expectation that even though those words were written, 
God can give a clarity of meaning to what he has said or spoken. Uh, number four, right, reading a modern usage back into the words. Right? Romans 3.18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, the Greek word for fear is phobos. And for God, it's theos. So we shouldn't reverse it and say, this is theophobia. Believing there is an absence of the irrational fear of God. Right? I have a phobia of God. And I've heard this. This is something that I've heard done a lot, is that people will take a root and then a word that we've later developed from that word. Right? This word is dynamo, and that's where we get dynamite. So this is the power, the dynamite of God. Well, dynamite came later, right? So that meaning is a modern meaning that we're ascribing back onto that word. So we want to be careful that. You may, and that happens sometimes, like when we've been studying uh, in uh, Peter about how you are a chosen race, a holy nation, right? So there's words that have these roots of like genos or ethnos, like where we get like genes and ethnicity. And that doesn't mean I'm going to take the modern meaning for those and read it back into what it meant originally. Sometimes the modern meaning can help clarify. Mm -hmm. So what I found as I've started doing more word studies is there's a lot of medical terms that have been oh, yeah. developed from roots. And because I, I kind of have a medical understanding, it's given me kind of another way to mm -hmm. see that meaning in I mean it's not always a lot of times they can be misinterpreted but mm -hmm. it's given me a better understanding of the use of it in that context mm -hmm. because of its modern use yeah like prognosis is one of mm -hmm. them and the there's some orthopedic terms that were mm -hmm. used the roots were used mm -hmm. that's interesting Keep that in mind. Um, let's see, where are we at? Uh, the salad bar approach, right? This is, this is one I particularly have to be careful of. Sometimes I go and you look at the dictionary <laughs> definition, right? You see, you're like, where's the word I want? Where's the word I want? Oh, okay, it can, it can mean that, right? So if you've got five different definitions and you select the one which helps the verse make, make your point. So... Um, sometimes it, 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 the South Park approach can at least eliminate, if you want it to say something and then none of the definitions say what you want, then okay, you can check that off, then you know you're wrong. But then when it's in there as a possibility, you definitely have to be careful of that. Like, no, okay, this, this is maybe the one I want it to say, so I have to be careful I'm not going to choose that one just because that's my preference. Okay. And stretching, right? Stretching meanings. So, for instance, crawling is different than walking, right? They both involve legs in motion. But it would be a mistake to say, oh, walking and crawling are synonyms, right? Or have the same meaning or overlapping meaning. So we don't want to stretch what words mean. So it would be a mistake to say fear really could be deep, passionate love. That's close. <laughs> okay, so we kind of went through the what not to do, and then let's look at some good principles that are, when we are looking at what words mean, what are some good principles? So um, here's some from A to G, and they don't have to be used in this necessarily in that order, but they should be considered. So A, we talked about, use multiple translations to discern how a word is translated and which word merits a word study. So we'll do that in a second. So what we mean by multiple translations is, 
for whatever your language. So if we're English readers, we're going to look at multiple English translations of the original to get a sense for, are there any words in here that maybe I need to look closer at? Maybe they're translated slightly differently in those different translations. That's something to, to look out for. And so you can do that without ever looking at any original text first, just looking at multiple translations. Are you going to... Are you going to go into that a little bit further? Because I have a question. Go ahead right now. <laughs> we'll How do you feel about the Amplified version? Um, I don't have a strong opinion. Would you have anything about Amplified? Can you give me a little more context? Well, just is it, do you find it helpful? Because a lot of times if I'm really struggling with meaning, mm -hmm. the Amplified, you know, has the parentheses mm -hmm. kind of with the description. I, I just don't know if it's, if it is a trusted way to look at interpretation. So I'm asking you all. Yeah, that. so I I would say I, I'm reluctant to comment because I don't you read from the Amplified much, and so I'm, I don't have a lot of context in terms of like what it is like. Usually I'm reading from uh, one or two English, and then I'm yeah. looking at directly back into what the originals looked at, and then maybe a few more. But you got anything about Amplified? I'm going to look up some reviews. Okay. Okay, do that. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up now. It gives us a chance. I feel like in class when kids ask something like, I will get back to you well, on it's that. Well, it is not, it's a hard read yeah. to just sit down and read the Amplified. But I have used it for clarity. If mm -hmm. I look at a couple of other versions, and then I'll say, okay, well, you know, it, because mostly because there's like definitions within the sentence. Mm -hmm. That's what I find helpful about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time since I since I read, but yeah, it, from from my memory, it, it seems very. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. Yes. A lot of words. Yeah, it's very amplified. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now we have to go check check, out, check it out for next time. So um, that would be one thing to do is read read a variety of translations and then using a variety of sources including dictionaries, concordances, and commentaries. So one thing I would say, um, you know, you've got to, you could look at more than one dictionary. Um, concordances in terms of where they're at, those aren't, you're not going to see a huge variety among them because essentially they should be what they are, right? This is where the word occurs. But in terms of don't just use a concordance, you're going to use concordance along with the dictionary. I think the, the biggest one to be um, careful about is like variety of commentaries because Sometimes we can um, reject or hold on to one commentary a little bit too much, right? Sometimes there's a person who maybe has a few views that we disagree with, and so we throw everything out that they have to say, okay? So an example would be um, like Wayne Grudem has done a good job of systematic theology, although there's some points in which um, the work of the Holy Spirit, the role of the gifts, those things that I would disagree with. Um, but I don't throw out, I still think he's a good source. And then there's others where I trust most of what they have to say, but I have to be careful not to say, well, okay, I thought everything points to this, but their commentary says something else. So be careful that you don't hold or reject too, those commentaries too much. Um, and there's a sense in which um, you might think about it as, uh, like, um, you, get, you guys like watermelon, right? You eat watermelon, there's a certain amount of seeds in there. If there's too many seeds, sometimes you just throw the watermelon out, right? So if you have some commentaries where you're just, i got to get rid of this, i got to get rid of this, maybe just pick a different commentary. But everything's going to have something in there that um, it's not going to be perfect. Okay. 
and consulting right. others that use commentary. I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I'll yeah. say, so what about this person? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just, I think that's where the body comes in, is that we have people who are studying and mm -hmm. we should yeah, and having a well-read and a well-studied um, body gives you a lot more to, a lot of times it's not just a commentary, or, oh, there's a chapter in this book that so-and-so does a really good job of explaining it. Okay, so I read a review okay. of the Amplified Study Bible. Okay. For those of you who don't know, what the Amplified <laughs> Study Bible does is it will actually inject in brackets uh, maybe alternative readings and renderings of certain words. And so, basically, if you treat it like a, an efficient study Bible, that kind of works. So you just don't take those notes as scripture or right. as interpretation. Right. So, so is it? I'm trying to remember. Is it marked like it's bracketed, and this is like yeah. the it's amplified portion? Like a, it's like a giant thesaurus. I mean, that's how I yeah. if I was just to. <coughs> so this is how John three sixteen would read. Yeah. For God so greatly loved the world and dearly prized the world that he, parentheses, even, gave up his only begotten, parentheses, unique son, so that whoever believes in, parentheses, trusts in, clings to, relies on, parentheses, and shall not perish, parentheses, come to destruction, be lost, parentheses, but have eternal, parentheses, everlasting life. So that's how it reads. It really it flows. Yeah, it's, not, it's not something to sit down and read a chapter in. <laughs> yeah, so it, I mean, it's just, it gives alternatives, but mm -hmm. I, I think one of the dangers is, I mean, language is understood by thoughts, yeah. paragraphs, sentences, not necessarily mm -hmm. words. And so that can kind of cause you to say, well, I don't like this word, I'll switch out this one. Yeah. So you just have to read it like a yeah. efficient study Bible. Okay, nice. Um, one thing that you'll see both in the Old and New Testament is um, point C here. Understand that different authors use words in different ways. And just they come from a different vocabulary. They have different sort of language. Um, a lot of it can be drawn upon their own uh, personal context, what they're familiar with. And so they might draw on, um, you know, David uses a lot of terms involving battle, right? He's familiar as a king, as a leader, as a soldier. Um, I think Paul was, you know, like sports. He uses some sports, you know, the, the racing, the fighting, the battle, um, uh, struggling. So they use those words in different ways. And so being mindful that just because you're looking at a single word, you might ask, well, okay, what is the book? Who's the author to help give you some information about how that word's being used? And being okay that it might be that it's the same word, but in a different book from a different author in a different text, it might have a different <coughs> meaning, which is kind of like what we're all used to. You know, when so-and-so says this word, they really mean like we all have our certain things that we talk about. I think it's interesting that, um, just as a side note, um, I was talking to Joshua and Naomi Smith, and they, they, when they come back and talk to churches in the United States, what they've noticed is that um, there's many words that mean different things to those congregations that can be either like um, almost like a red flag, you know, so like you might use the word uh, a community. Well, in some context, that means one totally different thing, a political thing, or a, we want 
so justice. justice yeah we want to work for justice right so it's like <gasps> social justice you know or <laughs> you know so like even in in english like we're not only the the speaker but the audience right the culture that place can that word can develop a certain connotation i know in in education a lot of times when we hear there's always like a buzzword bingo because you're like oh i'm going to hear these words and they have a certain either positive or negative so just be aware of and think about who's who's using the word. Okay, this is a good one. We'll see this one later as well. Um, we'll look at a passage where there's there's two different words for the same idea. But ask yourself why the author used one word and not the other. So being aware of like is there multiple words that could have been used. So why did they choose this one instead of that one? It's a good good choice because it may reveal some sort of um, difference. And that might be too where we come to be more aware that like there might be some words that in English we might have one or two words, but in the original maybe they had three or four. So it might give us a little bit more insight into how how is the word here for love? Is it different than the word there for love? They've got more than one. All right, consider the meaning of a word in relationship to another. For instance, does an accompanying word shape its meaning? Okay, so like spirit, right? What, what would be a word that sometimes comes with spirit in our testament? Holy. The Holy Spirit, right? So we might see spirit, but when it's Holy Spirit, right, we know it has a very different meaning than just the general word spirit, right? Um, consider whether or not a word is a technical or an idiomatic expression. So is this a figure of speech or should it be, how, how literally should it be taken, right? Yeah, where was the bucket that they were kicking, and how far did they kick this bucket? Right. I think I was talking with with um, somebody a while back about how um, in Acts, like after Judas um, was gone, there was eleven, right? But it was still the twelve, right? Because it was like a title, right? A group, right? And then we joke like that's why like now today we have the Big Ten which has twelve teams and the Big Twelve which has ten teams and yeah, yeah right it's like doesn't make sense right but the, you know what there's there's a mean, meaning behind there so okay and then last one I would say right this is your, your number one remember that context is king right test your conclusion against the context so one thing that we talk about uh, a lot at school just people in general right. <laughs> It's sometimes reading just takes practice and reading the context of what, how it occurs in the sentence and the paragraph and the book as a whole, the purpose, that's your number one way to get meaning. More than anything else, if you didn't have any of the original language or tools, studying that word in your English, you're going to get a ton of information just by looking at the context. How is it used in that sentence, in that paragraph? How does the author use it? So these are really, really helpful ways to study and look at what your words mean. So um, the rest of the time what we'll do is we'll kind of go through and use a lot of these things with an Old Testament example and a New Testament example just to kind of get a feel for how that might work. You guys got any questions at this point over any of those points as we've been going through them? Um, letter D, is that, is that one of the points that you're referring to or not? Yeah, any of those, A through G. Okay. Um, so 
I had uh, wondered on like um, the there's a version of this um, Psalm 52 that I or what is it? It's Corinthians. Yeah, where he says the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. He uses three in one way that I'd heard from the Messiah. I'd sang it before and then in this um, it, it used the word shall three times instead of in ESV it uses the word will twice and then at the very end for the last one and we shall be changed. And I was like well, what's the difference? Yeah. There? <laughs> I was yeah. like, I didn't know if that was a real yeah, thing. Yeah, that's an example. That would be an example. Why is why are they using uh, yeah. two two very similar words and they choose this one versus that one? Yeah. Yeah. Will versus shall. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first two and then yeah. So yeah. I didn't know. Um, is that in your experience? Have you seen that? And if so, how do you kind of reconcile through that or work through that? Well, yeah. One of the things that we'll do is when you look at those two different words, um, the idea is to see, first of all, I mean, is there any significant difference between them or are they virtually synonyms? So like, we wanna look at them and compare them like, how is one word used, how is the other word used? Is there any kind of indications that this one word has a slightly different meaning than another or are they virtually, yeah. virtually identical? Yeah, and sometimes an English dictionary is helpful. So I just found this helpful article. Technically, technically speaking, will is often used to express determination, inclination, or capability, as in, we will pay the money we promised, or caterpillars will turn into butterflies. Shall is often used to express intent or determination, as in, I shall go to the store, or she shall become the next queen. So they're used in the same way, in that yeah. the, the fact, factually they're the same thing. Well, one's more intent, and the other one is determination. So sometimes an English dictionary kind of helps you understand why the translators chose one word versus the other. It may not be a Greek issue so much as an English issue. Sure. And you had to figure out what in the context caused the Mm -hmm. translators to go one versus the other. Mm -hmm. So an English dictionary is actually a very good tool for Mm -hmm. for it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly normal. I think we should expect that it's perfectly normal to have questions about what words mean because, you know, even in your closest human relationship where you can talk back and forth as much as possible, it takes time to understand and get clarity on what a person means um, often, right? There may be times where you perfectly understand each other, but there's times where you need a little time to figure out what exactly is being said, okay? Uh, one. Uh, passage we'll look at. Let's look at, this is from Proverbs, okay? And we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to decide, you know, what can we gain from maybe study, doing some word study. So Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. So when we look at this, we're kind of going to go through in terms of A, B, A, and so on. Use multiple translations to discern how it's translated. Okay. Is this ESV? I believe that orig- the one we have there is ESV. I don't, I don't see this. I think it might be NAS. Is it? Yeah. It might be a well. Let's look it up. I don't know. NAS. 
NAS. Okay, so let's, if we've got NAS, let's go to ESV and maybe um, will be another good one. New King James or something like that. So Proverbs. Somebody have Proverbs 8.13 and a different. This is ESV. The okay. fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. Okay, very similar, perverted mouth and perverted speech. Okay, anybody have a different, not ESV or NAS? New King James, uh, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Oh, very similar, okay. And so noticing this, there's a pretty uniform consistency, meaning that there's not really that many words where there's much, much debate. So then after that, we're going to select fear, kind of because like that's the heart of what the verse is talking about. Um, what is it? It's talking about the fear of the Lord. So that's kind of the one we're going to choose. So you could pick different ones in different scenarios. We'll get another example of this uh, later. But. So we look up, right, what is the word and what is its reference? All right, so we're on page four here. In this case, right, Strong's reference number H3374. Right, H3374. And um, I'm going to kind of walk along like what I would do. Proverbs. <coughs> 34, 13. Okay, so fear, towards the end of the definition under the heading of nouns, it says fear, reverence. The noun, uh, how do I say it? Uh, Yerah. Yerah. The noun Yerah appears 45 times in the Old Testament, and it may mean fear of men as in Deuteronomy, fear of things, 725, fear of situations, like in Jonah 1.10, and of God, like in Jonah. It also may mean reverence of God, like in Genesis 20.11. Okay, so that's from one resource. Right? So we've got, okay, these are possible meanings of the word fear. And we're asking ourselves in this context, or in this verse, what is, we're trying to get at what the meaning is. What is it, what is it we're fearing? And then blue letter Bible, it said, gives me these uh, fear, terror, fearing, fear or terror, a awesome or terrifying thing, or the so the object causing the fear, the fear of God, respect, reverence, and piety, or revered. So you can see, like out of those A, B, C, and D, which are some that like really seem to kind of be significantly different. Which. Which, is there any definitions there where you think, well, it would really kind of make a different meaning if I chose this one versus that one? Yeah, right? Reverence, respect, and piety is very different than terror, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
I'm going to be destroyed versus this very awesome. So that's that's we're kind of getting at like well let's see which which one's going on there. Okay, so that's kind of A and B. We've looked at like okay what do we see? What's the word? What are its possible definitions? And then from there we kind of move on to part C. Understand that different authors use the words in different ways. So we want to say who's our author here in Proverbs? Yeah, Solomon for this one, and it says when we observe Solomon's writing. Of the Lord accompanies every usage of fear. So that's kind of significant. Um, that when we see fear of the Lord in this verse, we don't really have any other usages where Solomon is talking about fear. He's, he uses that particular word when he's talking about the fear of the Lord. Uh, in the earlier law of Moses, we see fear of the Lord is not used as much as fear of God. So that's another thing when we look at the, worst, the word outside of uh, Solomon's writings. It's translated both reverence and fear in Job as well as Psalms. In the prophetic literature later, we see that the usage indicates frightened right, or terror. That idea. So if you were just basing it on A, B, and C, right, which of the definitions would you tend to rule out? Out of A, B, C, and D here. tends to say that it's used more for that terror and frightening later on by the prophets. Mm -hmm. But it seems that here, when we're talking about when it's always accompanied by what? Fear what? The of the Lord. So when, we have, when we're talking about that usage, we tend to think that's going to be this respect, fear of God. So notice that like in that original A, B, C, and D, C and D are talking about the fear is referring to God versus something else. Okay, ask your author why the ask yourself why the author used this word and not another. Okay, so we, if we were to look up fear in a concordance, right, and see any different words for fear. So you've got what are some other words? Terror, dread. Terror, dread. Right, being afraid. Can you guys think of a time when there was? Uh, Dread, like dread brings to mind a few passages. I've been reading through Joshua, right? That as the Israelites were coming in and conquering the nations, right? The dread of them, right? People were like, oh, you know, we're going to be conquered. And so they, they were fearing their own destruction. They had this dread that they were just about to be annihilated. So in an Old Testament, especially thinking about the genre as well, right? So what's the context? Solomon, who's Solomon writing to here in the Proverbs? His son. Yeah, yeah. So the context is it's a father to son. Uh, can can give an impact here. So. When you think about like where do you, when you think about the prophets, what are what are sometimes why would they be using fear? What are some things that they're talking about and how they might use fear and how might that differ from here? They're usually forecasting judgment and doom on a disobedient people. Yeah. 
Yeah, not, not something to look forward to. And often they have specific events that they're referring, this is going to happen, the city is going to fall, you're going to be taken into exile, God's judgment will be poured out. Let's look back at the verse again. So what is it? In a way, yeah. uh, just going off of what Pastor Dave said, that the, when the apostles are speaking, they're using fear as the stage has already been set. And in this sense, in the Old Testament, it's kind of being built. So it's a different place mm-hmm. of fear. Mm-hmm. That in text, uh, in context of time. So yeah. I think so, yeah, the context of the time period and what's going on in the nation and in the book itself. Yeah. So this seems to be a, uh, an imparting of wisdom from the father to the son. And we see that um, there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, warning to fear anything particular, but the fear of the Lord is right, to hate evil. And there's a, a context, it's explaining, in a sense, what the fear of the Lord, what it is, what it looks like. Okay, so we talked about this just a second ago. Consider the meaning of the word in relationship to another, right? So, body and of work, right? We put those together, that has a different meaning than just what body means or work means on its own. So, of the Lord, right? So, if you are trying to understand how these fit together, what would be an obvious thing to do, uh, it seems like, is to look at other places, right? Where fear of the Lord is used. Right? So if Solomon uses fear with of the Lord many times, let's look at other places where fear of the Lord occurs. So if we go through those different places, we kind of adopt C here. It's the fear of God, that's fear of the Lord, uh, which is a respect and a reverence and a piety. All right? And then when we look at that, F here, is it technical? Right? How literal is it? Is it idiomatic? So remember, kicking the bucket in a minute, right? So fear of the Lord, is it's really an idiomatic expression. The context shows us that fear in the phrase doesn't mean literal fear or terror. So it's an expression that Solomon works out in many different verses. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. It's to hate evil. It is to, what else does he say about? What else does he hate? Proverbs 8.13. Pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. Perverted mouth. Perverted mouth. Perverted speech. So that's giving us an understanding. This is the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, hate pride and arrogance in an evil way. So it's this, this idiomatic expression that's used often. And then context is key, right? Adapting this term, placing it back... So when you, when you ha- think you have an idea for that meaning, put it back in there and see if it makes sense. Does it make sense to say the, the reverential respect and piety towards God is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate? Or does it make more sense to say to be terrified of the Lord is to hate evil, right? So the, the meaning needs to fit within the context of what we're
Okay, someone let read for us. Let's do. We'll jump into the beginning here, and we'll we'll maybe get the more into it next time. But Colossians three twenty one. What is Colossians three twenty one? That's what I was waiting for. I was hoping it would happen, and it did. Somebody. <laughs> Somebody. I didn't. I didn't single you out. So. Yeah, and let's let's just go to Colossians, right? Go open up your Bible to Colossians. Right. So we are maybe going to look at the context here in a bit, but. And let's see. Colossians. Leo, you there? Okay, he's out calling on him. Would you read 18 to 22 so we get a couple of the verses before and after? Yeah. Colossians 3, 18 to 22. Whatever you got. Okay. All right. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Awesome. So we kind of get in a, a little bit of a context there in terms of what's what's happening. And look at the three different... Um, versions here. we got NIV, uh, the NAS, uh, 95 update, and the good news. And so, um, fathers do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged, or they will become discouraged. Fathers do not exasperate your children for, so that they will not lose heart. Um, parents do not irritate your children or they will be discouraged. So I thought, you know, there's lots of choices here for a word study because you could see some variance, right, from these different translations, different ways it's being translated. So there's not like a particularly right or wrong one to pick. It's each one could help us have a, a deeper understanding. So what are some potential possible words that you might pick? Provoke versus exasperate. Yeah, provoke, exasperate, embitter, or irritate, right? So like. What's going on there with that word? So that's one. What other words are different that maybe we could study? Yeah. That we could study that what's that word discouraged or losing heart mean? And then there's at least one more where there's a difference. Father's parents. Yeah, father's parents. So any of those would be one that depended upon what you're trying to get a greater understanding for the verse. And so you've got this command is happening. So there's when you think about a command, who's the command to? And what are we being told to do? And then what's the consequence? And those are the three things that we could gain by studying the word. So what's the consequence would be studying that discouraged word, right? Um, what are we commanded to do, right? That's studying whether what's embittered, exasperate, irritate. And then what about father's parents? That's What's that helping us to understand? 
to who, right? Is this command strictly for fathers or is it to parents, both parents? And what would be the difference? And what, what would difference would that make? Okay. All right, so we're going to pick here in B. I use a variety of sources, dictionaries, concordances, and commentaries to categorize these different meanings. So we're going to pick uh, the first one, right? We're going to pick fathers versus parents, okay? And look at this, page six, all the way through to seven. One, two, three, one ABC, two ABC. Oh, I should, hold on. One A, B1, C, A, one, two, B. Right, we've got a variety of possible usages. Lots of possible usages here. So broadly, generator or male ancestor, right? Two, metaphorically, Transmit like right the the, fa the father of uh, modern medicine or right that you got that kind of metaphorical usage. Um, God right referring strictly to God as the father of things, the father of the stars, and so those are the three main ones: the the male ancestor, the metaphorical usage, or in reference to God specifically. That's kind of our main ones. So I think let's stop there. Next time we'll kind of get into the like working out the rest of what the meaning is going to be. Alright. And if you are right, looking for books or apps, you've got a list of things to, to go find. And I'll pray for us before we head out today. Lord, we thank you for language. And we thank you that you've chosen not only to create a way that we can know you, but you teach us as a good father teaching your children. You teach us to understand language, to speak it, to hear it, to read it, to write it. And pray that you'd help us, us to become familiar with your language of revelation about who you are, who we are. Help us to understand the world that we live in. And just give us guidance so that we might become more like you, loving you through obeying you. And pray that you would bless our time of study together and individually throughout the week. And help us to continue to worship you this morning as we sing your praises and as we listen to your word. And just teach us and lead us to follow you in your name. Amen.